Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. It's David Cox. Okay. And I'm Josh Matheson. What a lovely noise, David. And this week we are looking at chapter five of The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Now, right. last week, Poro went on the hunt for clues. It was mm. meticulous central. Yes. And more he... French noises you can shake a French stick <laughs> <laughs> ah. It was very funny uh-uh. how he found a lot of things that everybody else just completely wrote off as extremely significant and everything that everyone else thought was significant i say everyone else hastings thought was significant he completely brushed off uh, like probably the, not <laughs> he's probably doing it on purpose he's just like playing over like holding everyone like marionettes and going like, yeah he loves it i would love for him to get all the way to chapter 10 and then him basically go and pick up on all of hastings ideas and present them as his own and hastings just sitting there like <laughs> You've ridiculed me, me for the last <laughs> seven chapters. <laughs> this chapter, isn't it called something like, was it strychnine or is it strychnine or something like that? Strychnine come dancing. It's like, we've given all of our contestants a drink of water, but one contains strychnine. Who's going to drop while they dance? I'll tell you what, I, I don't watch it. I don't watch it. I would absolutely watch Strictly if that's what it is. Can you imagine? It'll it's be like, so good. It's it's our <laughs> and our murder tonight is accompanied by Dave Arch and his wonderful orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people's celebrity lives have died on that show anyway, without them literally dying on that show. <laughs> what else the have we chapter got? was called It Isn't Strychnine, is it? Ah, yes. Oh. Intrigue, intrigue, intrigue. So should we just dive in and see where Poirot's going with this investigation? Let's go for it. Chapter five. It isn't strychnine, is it? Where did you find this? I asked Poirot in lively curiosity. In the waste paper basket. You recognise the handwriting, hmm? Yes, it's Mrs Inglethorpe's. But what does it mean? Poirot shrugged his shoulders. I cannot say, but it is suggestive, hmm? A wild idea flashed across me. Was it possible that Mrs. Inglethorpe's mind was deranged? Had she some fantastic idea of demoniacal possession? And if that were so, was it not also possible that she might have taken her own life? I do love the idea that this turns into The Exorcist. Where that whole fit, that whole fit scene was actually her, like you know, head turning around, climbing the wall, throwing up everywhere. Power of Christ compels you. It certainly would be a mysterious affair. But they're talking about the I am possessed, I am possessed, two a.m. possessed, or whatever it says on that piece of paper. They're discussing that piece of paper now, aren't they? They are. They are. Yeah. I was about to expound these theories to Poirot when his own words distracted me. Come, he said. Now to examine the coffee cups, huh? My dear Poirot, what on earth is the good of that, now that we know about the cocoa? Ooh la la! That miserable cocoa, huh? (laughs) Cried Poirot flippantly. He laughed with apparent enjoyment, raising his arms to heaven in mock despair, in what I could not but consider the worst possible taste. And anyway, 
I said, in increasing coldness. As Mrs. Inglethorpe took her coffee upstairs with her, I do not see what you expect to find, unless you consider it likely that we shall discover a packet of strychnine on the coffee tray. Poirot was sobered at once. Come, come, my friend, hmm? he said, slipping his arms through mine. Ne vous fâchez pas. Allow me to interest myself in my coffee cups, and I will respect your cocoa. Huh? There. Is it a bargain? Hmm? He was so quaintly humorous that I was forced to laugh, and we went together to the drawing-room, where the coffee cups and tray remained undisturbed as we had left them. Poirot made me recapitulate the scene of the night before, listening very carefully and verifying the position of the various cups. So, Mrs. Cavendish stood by the tray and poured out, hmm? Yes? Then she came across to the window, where you sat with Mademoiselle Cynthia, hmm? Yes? Here are the three cups, hmm? And the cup on the mantelpiece, half drunk, that would be Mr. Lawrence Cavendish's, hmm? And the one on the tray? John Cavendish's. I saw him put it down there. Good. One, two, three, four, five. But where, then, is the cup of Mr. Inglethorpe, hmm? He doesn't take coffee. Then we are all accounted for. One moment, my friend, hmm? With infinite care, he took a drop or two from the grounds in each cup, sealing them up in separate test tubes, tasting each in turn as he did so. His physiognomy underwent a curious change, an expression gathered there that I can only describe as half-puzzled and half-relieved. Bien, he said at last. It is evident. Huh? I had an idea, but clearly I was mistaken. Hmm? Yes, altogether I was mistaken. Yet it is strange. Hmm? But no matter. And with a characteristic shrug, he dismissed whatever it was that was worrying him from his mind. I could have told him from the beginning that this obsession of his over the coffee was bound to end in a blind alley, but I restrained my tongue. After all, though he was old, Poirot had been a great man in his day. Breakfast is ready, said John Cavendish, coming in from the hall. You will breakfast with us, Monsieur Poirot? Poirot acquiesced. I observed John. Already he was almost restored to his normal self. The shock of the events of the last night had upset him temporarily, but his equable poise soon swung back to the normal. He was a man of very little imagination, in sharp contrast with his brother, who had, perhaps, too much. Ever since the early hours of the morning, John had been hard at work, sending telegrams. One of the first had gone to Evelyn Howard, writing notices for the papers and generally occupying himself with the melancholy duties that a death entails. "'May I ask how things are proceeding?' he said. "'Do your investigations point to my mother having died a natural death, or, or must we prepare ourselves for the worst?' "'I think, Mr Cavendish,' said Poirot gravely, that you would do well not to buoy yourself up with any false hopes. Hmm? Can you tell me the views of the other members of the family? Hmm? 
My brother Lawrence is convinced that we're making a fuss over nothing. He says that everything points to his being a simple case of art failure. He does, does he? Hmm? That is very interesting. Very interesting, murmured Poirot softly. And Mrs. Cavendish? Hmm? A faint cloud passed over John's face. I've not the least idea what my wife's views on the subject are. The answer brought a momentary stiffness in its train. John broke the rather awkward silence by saying, with a slight effort, I told you, didn't I, that Mr. Inglethorpe has returned. Poirot bent his head. It's an awkward position for all of us. Of course, one does have to treat him as usual, but hang it all, one's gorge does rise at sitting down to eat with a possible murderer. Poirot nodded sympathetically. I quite understand. Hmm? It is a very difficult situation for you, Mr. Cavendish. It's a bit weird, sorry, that they're just eating in the house. They're just, it's like, no one could be here. No one could just, like, do normal stuff here because everywhere is a possible piece of evidence. Mm, like, yeah. And they're just like, oh, tidy it away. Who's doing the washing up tonight? <laughs> but this is before they used to do all that forensic okay. stuff where they'd, like, lock down a crime scene. Like, even crimes yeah, in not- the 70s, people used to just leave scenes open and then they'd wonder why they couldn't find any evidence later when a murder had happened. I quite understand. Hmm? It is a very difficult situation for you, Mr. Cavendish. I would like to ask you one question. Monsieur hmm? Inglethorpe's reason for not returning last night was, I believe, that he had forgotten the latch key. Is not that so? Hmm? Yes. I suppose that you are quite sure that the latch key was forgotten. That he did not take it after all, hmm? I have no idea. I never thought of looking. We always keep it in the hall drawer. I'll go and see if it's there now. Poirot held up his hand with a faint smile. No, no, Mr. Cavendish, it is too late now. Hmm? I am certain that you would find it. If Mr. Inglethorpe did take it, he has had ample time to replace it by now. But do, do you think... I think nothing. If anyone had chanced to look this morning before his return and seen it there, it would have been a valuable point in his favour. That is all. Hmm. John looked perplexed. Do not worry, said Poirot smoothly. I assure you that you need not let it trouble you. Hmm. Since you are so kind, let us go and have some breakfast. Hmm? Everyone was assembled in the dining room. Under the circumstances, we were naturally not a cheerful party. <laughs> kind of goes I mean, most times when people die, it's never a cheerful party. Like funerals are never cheerful. Normally. Unexpected, horrific death that we all witnessed. Let's yes, have a big party. Of a family a member. Yes, mm. exactly. The reaction after a shock is always trying. And I think we were all suffering from it. Decorum and good breeding naturally enjoyed that our demeanour should be much as usual, yet I could not help wondering if this self-control were really a matter of great difficulty. There were no red eyes, no signs of secretly indulged grief. I felt that I was right in my opinion that Dorcas was the person most affected by the personal side of the tragedy. I passed over Alfred Inglethorpe, who acted the bereaved widower 
in a manner that I felt to be disgusting in its hypocrisy. Did he know that we suspected him, I wondered? Surely he could not be unaware of the fact, conceal it as we would. Did he feel some secret stirring of fear, or was he confident that his crime would go unpunished? Surely the suspicion in the atmosphere must warn him that he was already a marked man. But did everyone suspect him? What about Mrs Cavendish? I watched her as she sat at the head of the table, graceful, composed, enigmatic. In her soft grey frock, with white ruffles at the wrists falling over her slender hands, she looked very beautiful. When she chose, however, her face could be sphinx-like in its inscrutability. She was very silent, hardly opening her lips, and yet in some queer way I felt that the great strength of her personality was dominating us all. He's just, he lets his personal feelings towards people really cloud his judgment. He's never going to be a detective, is he? He gets too mm. involved. Well, it's, yeah. it's really funny we're doing this week. So I've been working in a special needs school and we did a whole theme day and we did a um, who done it or a who oh, yeah. has done this. Um, and I was, you know, I was speaking to one of our students and um, he did the same thing as Hastings. He basically, one of the characters was deliberately made to seem like, oh, Bill Bodgett, the builder. This is one of the characters is Bill uh, nobody likes Bill Budget the builder. Bill Budget. He never does he, yeah, it's obviously simplified. For, he does a whole uh, job. Yeah. He? Um one of the students was like, Yeah, I think he did it. I was like, but why? I was like, Yeah, but he just looks, you know, you can just tell. I was like, Yeah, but we need to, we need to work out why. And he was like, Ah, oh, okay, so I can't just like accuse, accuse people, people. Like sound off. <laughs> so he got that concept probably quicker than Hastings did. Yeah. Well, uh, you can't just like accuse somebody who you don't like the look of just yeah. because of that with and no evidence somebody whatsoever. they're a bit prettier by the yeah. same token. And little Cynthia, did she suspect? She looked very tired and ill, I thought. The heaviness and languor of her manner was very marked. I asked her if she were feeling ill, and she answered frankly, yes, I've got the most beastly headache. Have another cup of coffee, mademoiselle, hmm? no. said Poirot solicitously. Mm. It will revive you. Hmm? It is unparalleled for the mal de tête. He jumped mm. up and took her cup. No sugar, said Cynthia, watching him as he picked up the sugar tongs. No sugar? Hmm? You abandon it in the wartime, eh? Hmm? No, I never take it in coffee. Sacre, murmured Poirot to himself as he brought back the replenished cup. Only I heard him, and glancing up curiously at the little man, I saw that his face was working with suppressed excitement, and his eyes were as green as a cat's. He had heard or seen something that had affected him strongly, but what was it? I do not usually label myself as dense, but I must confess <laughs> that nothing out of the ordinary had attracted my attention. <laughs> I do, Jonah. I don't normally. I'm not stable myself. I wouldn't consider myself well, a complete plonker. I'm not dumb though, so that's what he meant. <laughs> he's he's realised that someone's tampered with the cups. I reckon 
because he's probably well, he tasted everybody's coffee cup from the night before. He's probably gone right. Did you say that one was Cynthia's? That one was so and so something. And he's probably tasted it. Gone. There was sugar in Cynthia's coffee, and she just said she's never taken sugar. I bet you that's what he's put together. Oh yeah. So in, oh. yeah, because he 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 should know how she takes her coffee because he tasted it. Good point. Very good point. <laughs> Poirot ain't got nothing on me. (laughs) (laughs) In another moment, the door opened and Dorcas appeared. Mr. Wells to see you, sir, she said to John. I remembered the name as being that of the lawyer to whom Mrs. Inglethorpe had written the night before. John rose immediately. Show him to my study. Then he turned to us. My mother's lawyer he explained, and in a lower voice. He's also coroner, you understand. Perhaps you'd like to come with me? We acquiesced and followed him out of the room. John strode on ahead, and I took the opportunity of whispering to Poirot. There will be an inquest, then? Poirot nodded absently. He seemed absorbed in thought, so much so that my curiosity was aroused. What is it? You're not attending to what I say. It is true, my friend. I am much worried. Hmm? Why? Because Mademoiselle Cynthia does not take sugar in her coffee. Hmm? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> you cannot be serious. But I am most serious. Hmm? Ah, there is something there that I do not understand. My instinct was right. Hmm? What instinct? The instinct that led me to insist on examining those coffee cups. Shoo! No more now. We followed John into his study, and he closed the door behind us. Mr. Wells was a pleasant man of middle age, with keen eyes and the typical lawyer's mouth. <laughs> Classic <laughs> lawyer's, lawyer's mouth. mouth. I don't know, <laughs> well, but I wish I did. I'm going to try and guess for our Patreon viewers. Oh, yeah. we can Let's all try on. and adopt a, cl- a typical lawyer's mouth, please. Do you think <laughs> I love that you got for like the duck bout there? I reckon it's something like this. You know that, oh. like, that smirk. You know that pretty Patel smirk. Is it that kind of the clock's always running? Everything's I'm billable, better than gentlemen. You. I don't have a soul. Oh, one of, one yeah. of those. That's what it is. Yeah. John introduced us both and explained the reason of our presence. You will understand, Wells. He added that this is all strictly private. We're still hoping that there will turn out to be no need for investigation of any kind. And at this point, that typical lawyer's mouth opens up into speech. If this guy's a lawyer and a coroner, I don't imagine that he's the life and soul of parties. So if I can throw on a very beige personality into the mix, because I was thinking either that and go with the coroner thing, or I was thinking go the antithesis and be like, he's totally inappropriate and constantly trying to stifle a laugh because you know that people find funerals and other things then you catch the gig at an inappropriate moment and you're really trying to hold it together (laughs) just imagining that as well so that was my other my other option it was like he's actually like always really inappropriate and struggling to hold the professional front i do like the idea of that so every full stop he's like So, well, um, I have no power here, so you just tell me what I'm doing. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, just, just do you do that. Just, okay. Yeah, it's okay. Just, so, um, so imagine. Um, <laughs> um, 
Just like whatever you can think of when you read a sentence and be like, what is the worst way that you could deliver this to a bereaving, a, a, like in, in a bereavement setting? That's, oh, that's the note. Sorry. Um, yeah. Mr. Cavendish got some, <laughs> got some <laughs> terrible <Okay. news. laughs> um, Sorry. All right. Let's give that a whirl, shall we? Quite so, said Mr. Wells soothingly. I, I, I wish we could. Have... <laughs> I love it. I love it when he gives a direction and we've just yeah, gone, nope. and it just completely contradicts it. God, no, Agatha, we know better. <laughs> yeah. uh, <clears throat> I, 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 I wish we could have spared you the. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, <clears throat> I, 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 I wish we could have spared you the pain, the pain, <laughs> the pain and publicity of of an inquest. But and of course, it's it's, it's quite unavoidable um, in the presence of a, of a doctor's certificate. <laughs> Ooh, uh, oh my god. I love that for most of that, I wasn't sure if you were acting it or if you'd corpsed. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. yeah. That's the sweet spot. That's, that's, oh, yeah. that, that, that's just, that was, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Yes, I suppose so. <laughs> Clever man. Bowerstein, uh, yeah. a great authority on uh, uh, toxology, I believe. Yeah. Indeed, said John, with a certain stiffness in his manner. Then he added rather hesitatingly, Shall we have to appear as witnesses? All of us, I mean. Uh, what, you, you, of course. And, um, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Mr. Um, Inglethorpe. A slight pause ensued before the lawyer went on in his soothing manner. <laughs> <laughs> I just wait. Sorry. <laughs> oh, this makes it so much funnier when Agatha's like, and that's the note. I know. She's trying so hard to claw it back, bless her. She's really trying to like make this serious. And we're like, Agatha, just no. <laughs> Any other evidence will be simply uh, confirmatory, uh, a mere matter of form. <laughs> I see. A faint expression of relief swept over John's face. It puzzled me, for I saw no occasion for it. If you if you know nothing of uh, the contrary, pursued Mister Wells, I, I thought of Friday. Yeah, that, that'll give us plenty of time uh, for the doctor's report. Uh, the the the, 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 <laughs> the, the post mortem is to take place tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever said. The postmortem, <laughs> like someone just said, you're getting a cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those exercises you do in acting classes. Just it like, is. Oh, I'm going to give you a really somber text, and we've got to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. make it the antithesis of what it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Then that arrangement will suit you. <laughs> <laughs> the gun fingers. Perfectly. I uh, I need not tell you, uh, my dear Cavendish, how how distressed I am. At this most tragic affair. <laughs> Can you give us no help in solving it, Monsieur? Hmm? Interposed Poirot, 
speaking for the first time since we had entered the room. Uh, I? Yes, <laughs> we, we heard that Mrs. Inglethorpe wrote to you last night. Hmm? You should have received a letter this morning. Hmm. I, I did, but it contains no information. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a note asking me to call upon her this morning. <laughs> and she, um, <laughs> she wanted my advice on a matter of great importance. So. She gave you no hint as to what the matter might be. Hmm? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> that is a pity, said John. A great pity, agreed Poirot gravely. There was silence. Poirot remained lost in thought for a few minutes. Finally, he turned to the lawyer again. Mr. Wells, there is one thing I should like to ask you. That is, if it is not against professional etiquette. Hmm? In the event of Mrs. Inglethorpe's death, who would inherit her money? Hmm? The lawyer hesitated a moment and then replied. The, the, the knowledge of public property very soon. So if uh, Mr. Cavendish does not object. <laughs> not at all, interpolated John. I don't see any reason why I shouldn't answer the question. Um, oh. By her last will, uh, dated uh, August of last year, after various unimportant legacies to servants, etc., she gave her entire fortune to her stepson, Mr. John Cavendish. <laughs> <laughs> Was not that, uh, pardon the question, Mr. Cavendish, rather unfair to her other stepson, Mr. Lawrence Cavendish? Hmm? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You see, under the terms of their father's will, uh, while John inherited the property, Lawrence, at his stepmother's death, would, would come into a considerable sum of money. Uh, Mrs. Inglethorpe left her money to her elder stepson, knowing that he would have to keep up styles. It was, to my mind, a very fair and equitable distribution. Poirot nodded thoughtfully. I see. But I am right in saying, am I not, that by your English law, that will was automatically revoked when Mrs. Inglethorpe remarried. Mr. Wells bowed his head. As, as I was about to proceed, Monsieur Poirot, <laughs> uh, that document is now null and void. <laughs> <laughs> said Poirot. He reflected for a moment and then asked, was Mrs. Inglethorpe herself aware of that fact? Hmm? I don't know. She might have been. She was, said John unexpectedly. We were discussing the matter of wills being revoked by marriage only yesterday. Ah. One more question, Mr. Wells. Hmm? You say her last will. Hmm? Had Mrs. Inglethorpe then made several former wills? Uh, on, on an average, uh, she made a new will at least once a year, oh, wow. said Mr. Wells imperturbably. She was given to changing her mind as to her testamentary dispositions, now benefiting one, now another member of her family. Suppose, suggested Poirot, that, unknown to you, she had made a new will in favour of someone who was not, in any case of the word, a member of the family. We will say... Miss Howard, for instance, would you be surprised? Hmm? Not in the least. Ah, Poirot seemed to have exhausted his questions. I drew close to him, while John and the lawyer were debating the question of going through Mrs. Inglethorpe's papers. 
do you think Mrs. Inglethorpe made a will leaving all of her money to Miss Howard? I asked in a low voice with some curiosity. Poirot smiled. No. Then why did you ask? Hush. John Cavendish had turned to Poirot. Will you come with us, Monsieur Poirot? We're going through my mother's papers. Mr. Inglethorpe is quite willing to leave it entirely to Mr. Wells and myself. Which simplifies matters very much, murmured the lawyer. As technically, of course, he is entitled. He did not finish the sentence. We will look through the desk in her boudoir first, explained John, and go up to her bedroom afterwards. She kept her most important papers in a purple dispatch case, which we must look through carefully. Yes, said the lawyer. It's quite possible that there may be a later will than the one in my possession. There is a later will. It was Poirot who spoke. What? John and the lawyer looked at him startled. Or rather, pursued my friend imperturbably, there was one. What do you mean there was one? Where is it now? Burnt. Hmm? Burnt? Yes, see here. He took out the charred fragment we had found in the grate in Mrs. Inglethorpe's room and handed it to the lawyer with a brief explanation of when and where he had found it. But possibly this is an old will. I do not think so. In fact, I am almost certain that it was made no earlier than yesterday afternoon. Hmm? What? Impossible! broke simultaneously from both men. Poirot turned to John. If you will allow me to send for your gardener, I will prove it to you. Hmm? Uh, oh, uh, of course, but I, I don't see... Poirot raised his hand. Do as I ask you. Hmm? Afterwards, you shall question as much as you please. Hmm? Very well. He rang the bell. That property was left to John with some money to upkeep styles <clears throat> and Lawrence just got money. Yeah. Then Mrs. Inglethorpe remarried to everything then was going to go to Mr. Inglethorpe, Alfred, and the boys would have gotten nothing in that death. They probably would have waited until Alfred died until they might have seen something then. Mm-hmm. But basically they're saying that she used to change her will every year. Wow, she really did change her mind. There must have been a lot of arguments between these family members for her to be so annoyed yeah. That's well, right in and out all the time. The little that we know of her, she does seem the type to be. Well, yeah. I can't believe you said that. I'm writing you straight <laughs> out of the wheel. <laughs> it's so, probably her main leverage, though, isn't it? If you think about it, it's her main yeah. way of making people behave the way that she wants them to, or, yeah. you know, that's the, her main power over them because she gets to decide who gets the house and all the money. All the stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she used to do it just to make sure everyone stayed in line and did what they want. Take the bins out or I'm going to write you out the wheel. <laughs> make me a coffee or I'm going to write you out the wheel. Oh, Can you imagine like someone, someone, someone treads mud through the living room? Oh, me yeah, the wheel. that's Definitely. it. That's it. <laughs> Gone. At one point, she had a really bad day and left it all to her cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would never be able to do that because my stress level of, yeah, but okay, I've done this in anger right now, but what if I actually died and everything did actually go to the cat? Yeah, right. You'd be so annoyed. 
I couldn't do it. I couldn't write someone out as like a, I'm going to get back at them, even though they're probably going to apologize. No, I mean, knowing make that the if I did snuff it. Yeah. It. <laughs> I know. No, absolutely not. Because you know, somebody some, sometime on this planet that has happened to someone. They've, they've in anger, written they've it, left it all yeah. to the cat. Yeah. yeah. Dorcas answered it in due course. Dorcas, will you tell Manning to come round and speak to me here? Yes, sir. Dorcas withdrew. We waited in a tense silence. Poirot alone seemed perfectly at his ease and dusted a forgotten corner of the bookcase. The clumping of hobnailed boots on the gravel outside proclaimed the approach of Manning. John looked questioningly at Poirot. The latter nodded. Come inside, Manning, said John. I want to speak to you. Manning came slowly and hesitatingly through the French window and stood as near as he could. He held his cap in his hands, twisting it very carefully round and round. His back was much bent, though he was probably not as old as he looked, but his eyes were sharp and intelligent and belied his slow and rather cautious speech. Manning, said John, this gentleman will put some questions to you, which I want you to answer. And then he answers. Well, I mean, Styles is set in Essex, but I have a feeling this man's meant to be because he's a gardener and he's wringing his yeah. hands. It's that kind of stereotypical kind of surf, surf of the Lord, working the land, kind of, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, my Lord, no, my Lord. I don't know. Can we make him baldric? <laughs> Yeah. Well, what's what's his way for that? Or like some I'm corn, a cunning plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Slyer, so it's got to be a little bit of a vacancy to the voice. <laughs> Even though it's so a slightly we've cunning. already got a, we've already got an estuary voice, but there should always be an element of you don't really know what's going to come out next. Yeah. It does say um, his slow and rather cautious speech, so that could work as well, because he's obviously like talking slowly to make sure that he doesn't offend anybody as well, I think. Yes, sir, mumbled Manning. Poirot stepped forward briskly. Manning's eye swept over him with a faint contempt. You were planting a bed of begonias round by the south side of the house yesterday afternoon, were you not, Manning? Yes, sir, me and Willem. And Mrs. Inglethorpe came to the window and called you, did she not? Yes, sir, she did. Tell me in your own words exactly what happened after that. Hmm? Well, sir, nothing much. She just told Willem to go on his bicycle down to the village and bring back a form of will or such like I don't know what exactly she wrote it down for him well hmm? well he did sir (laughs) and what happened next hmm? we went on with the begonias sir did not Mrs Inglethorpe call you again hmm? yes sir both me and Willem she called, and then she made us come right in and sign our names at the bottom of a long p- 
paper under where she signed. Did you see anything of what was written above her signature? Hmm? Asked Poirot sharply. No, sir. There was a bit of blotting paper over that part. And you signed where she told you? Hmm? Yes, sir. First me and then Willem. What did she do with it afterwards? Hmm? Well, sir, she slipped it into a long envelope and, and put it inside a sort of purple box that was standing on the desk. What time was it when she first called you? Hmm? About four, I should say, sir. Not earlier? Hmm? Could it have been about half past three? Hmm? No, I shouldn't say so, sir. It would be more likely to be a bit after four, not before it. Thank you, Manning. That will do, hmm? said Poirot pleasantly. The gardener glanced at his master, who nodded, whereupon Manning lifted a finger to his forehead with a low mumble and backed cautiously out of the window. I love the fact that she's literally gotten him to sign something, but they've got no idea what they're signing. It's like yeah. Manning and Willem. It could have been you signing your pensions away or you signing could have been the, them signing the He agreed to the murder of whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, he, he, it's like when he buys something on iTunes, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. No, <it's> true. <laughs> she's obviously just used her position as lady of the manor to kind of get them to sign something without really questioning it or kind of asking what it's about. Yeah. But that explains how she managed to make a legal will. Because, as you said, if she needs witnesses or needs somebody mm -hmm. else there to be like, yeah, yeah, this person's corpus mentis and they've done this not under duress or whatever, then mm. that's how she's gotten around it. She's gotten the help to sign her, her will for her. Well, that's it. Which obviously shows that she was trying not to tell anybody else in the family that she was changing the will. So it's interesting then to find out how whoever killed her found out that she'd changed it. We all looked at each other. Good heavens murmured John. What an extraordinary coincidence. How a coincidence, hmm? That my mother should have made the will on the very day of her death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to label him as dense. <laughs> He's not the brightest spark. Mr. Wells cleared his throat and remarked dryly, are you so sure it is a coincidence, Cavendish? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably actually the right note. It could be. Yeah. Interpret it as that. What do you mean? Your your mother. You, you don't. You had a violent quarrel with uh, <laughs> someone yesterday afternoon. What do you mean? Cried John again. There was a tremor in his voice. Oh, he is actually that pale. stupid. In uh, consequence of that quarrel, your mother very suddenly and hurriedly makes a new will. The contents of that will, we shall never know. Uh, she told no one of its provisions. This morning, no doubt, she would have consulted me on the subject, but she had no chance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the will disappears. She takes its secrets with her to her grave. Cavendish, <laughs> I much fear there is no coincidence there. Missy Poirot, I am sure you agree with me that the facts are very suggestive. 
suggestive or not, interrupted John. We are most grateful to Monsieur Porro for elucidating the matter. But for him, we should never have known of this will. I suppose I may not ask you, Monsieur, what first led you to suspect the fact. Poirot smiled and answered. A scribbled over envelope and a freshly planted bed of begonias. Hmm? <laughs> if in doubt, it's the freshly planted bed of begonias. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, oh, maybe the killer or, you know, snuck in and stole the wheel. So I was wrong on the flower bed front. It was related to the it wheel, was a but good, not in the way that theory, I'd said. Yeah, sure. I was close. I mean, I got I got the right kind of vibe, but not the right outcome. Yeah. But hey, I'm not as clever as Poirot, evidently. John, I think, would have pressed his questions further. But at that moment... The loud purr of a motor was audible, and we all turned to the window as it swept past. Evie, cried John. Excuse me, Wills. He he went hurriedly out into the hall. Poirot looked inquiringly at me. Miss Howard, I explained. Oh, I am glad she's come. There's a woman with a, with an head and an art too, Hastings. Oh, the good God gave her no beauty. So harsh. <laughs> I mean, I followed John's example and went out into the hall where Miss Howard was endeavouring to extricate herself from the voluminous mass of veils that enveloped her head. As her eyes fell on me, a sudden pang of guilt shot through me. This was the woman who had warned me so earnestly and to whose warning I had, alas, paid no heed. How soon and how contemptuously I had dismissed it from my mind. Now that she had been proved justified in so tragic a manner, I felt ashamed. She had known Alfred Inglethorpe only too well. I wonder whether, if she had remained at Stiles, the tragedy would have taken place, or would the man have feared her watchful eyes? I was relieved when she shook me by the hand with her well-remembered painful grip. The eyes that met mine were sad, but not reproachful. That she had been crying bitterly I could tell by the redness of her eyelids, but her manner was unchanged from its old gruffness. Started the moment I got the wire. Just came off night duty. Hired a car quickest way to get here. Have you had anything to eat this morning, Evie? No. I thought not. Come along. Breakfast's not cleared away yet, and they'll make you some fresh tea. He turned to me. Look after her, Hastings, will you? Wells is waiting for me. Oh, here's Monsieur Poirot. He's helping us, you know, Evie. Miss Howard shook hands with Poirot, but glanced suspiciously over her shoulder at John. What do you mean, helping us? Helping us to investigate. Nothing to investigate. Have they taken him to prison yet? Taken who to prison? Who? Alfred Inglethorpe, of course. My dear Evie, do be careful. Lawrence is of the opinion that my mother died from heart seizure. More fool Lawrence, retorted Miss Howard. Of course Alfred Inglethorpe murdered poor Emily. As I always told you, he would. 
my dear Evie, don't shout. So whatever you may think or suspect, it's better to say as little as possible for the present. The inquest isn't until Friday. Not until fiddlesticks. <laughs> the snort Miss Howard gave was truly magnificent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're all off your heads. The man will be out of the country by then. If he's any sense, he won't stay here tamely and wait to be hanged. John Cavendish looked at her helplessly. I know what it is, she accused him. You've been listening to the doctors. Never should. What do they know? Nothing at all, or just enough to make them dangerous. I ought to know my own father was a doctor. That little Wilkins is about the greatest fool that even I have ever seen. Heart seizure, sort of thing he would say. Anyone with a sense could see at once that her husband had poisoned her. I always said he'd murder her in her bed, poor soul. Now he's done it. And all you could do is to murmur silly things about heart seizure and inquest on Friday. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, John Cavendish. What do you want me to do? asked John, unable to help a faint smile. Dash it all, Weavy. I can't haul him down at a local police station by the scruff of his neck. Well, you might do something. Find out how he did it. He's a crafty beggar. Dare say he soaked flypapers. Ask Cook if she's missed any. It occurred to me very forcibly at that moment that to harbour Miss Howard and Alfred Inglethorpe under the same roof and keep the peace between them was likely to prove a Herculean task, and I did not envy John. I could see by the expression of his face that he fully appreciated the difficulty of the position. For the moment he sought refuge in retreat, and left the room precipitately. Hi everyone, Matt here from the editing room, just to let you know that we will be splitting this chapter into two halves, as we're only halfway through and this episode's already quite long. So we're going to leave it here for this week, and the second part of chapter five will be out next week. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com, or you can contact us on Twitter, or Instagram, or Patreon, at Lazy Book Club Pod. Patreon subscribers for the small fee of $3 a month get an extra episode every month, as well as access to the videos of the podcast every week as well. So it's a very good deal. And we will see you next week for the second part of Chapter 5. See you then.